We have to bust the stigma of shame. Our children, your children, the children I work with every day, they have a right to this world. They belong here and they are special. And it's these out-of-the-box children that are going to be our future leaders. And we have to prepare the world for them. But not just that, we have to be proud of them. So they throw tantrums in the grocery store and throw themselves on the floor. So what? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. My name is Debbie Reber, and I'm the host of this show. And today my guest is Dr. Rita Eichenstein a licensed psychologist who specializes in pediatric neuropsychological assessments and parent training skills. Rita's areas of expertise include learning disabilities, attention deficit disorders, autism spectrum, gifted populations, as well as counseling parents of all ages. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. Rita is committed to helping parents find more peace in their unexpected parenting journey. And toward that end is very in tune with the emotional journey many parents move through from the moment they first discover their child is atypical. In our conversation today, she is going to walk us through the five stages of acceptance. They're similar to the stages of grief, but modified for parents of differently wired kids. And Rita will share her insights from working with parents like us about what typically gets in the way of accepting who our children are, as well as what to do about it. And before I get to that, I wanted to make a special invitation to my newer listeners out there. I know there are a lot of you as the podcast is just about to hit one and a quarter million downloads. So if you are newer to this podcast and maybe just discovering Tilt, I wanted to be sure you knew what other resources are available to you. On the Tilt Parenting website, you can find all the previous episodes of this show, all 166 of them searchable by neurodifference or topic. You'll also find an in-depth resources page, again, broken down by neurodifference and topic. There are blog posts and articles, the Tilt Manifesto, which is the manifesto I launched Tilt with nearly three and a half years ago. And you'll also find the Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge, which is a free mini course where every day for seven days, you'll receive a short daily video highlighting one practical, actionable thing you can start doing right away to make a real change in the way you think, feel, and act in relation to your child. That challenge also comes with a downloadable PDF mini workbook, so you can work through the challenges and keep track of your observations as well as an invitation to a private Facebook group just for people who have done or are doing the challenge. You can also download a free chapter from my book, Differently Wired, if you haven't read that, and learn how to connect with other Tilt community members near you. Lastly, on the website, you can sign up for my short weekly updates where I share upcoming events that you don't want to miss. I highlight news articles relevant to parents like us, and I always share a short personal message from me to you. So you can find all of that over at TiltParenting.com. I hope to see you there. And now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Rita. Hey, Rita, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Glad to be here. So could you start us off today by 
introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about your work and in this particular space of working with differently wired kids. Oh, absolutely. So I'm a psychologist and a pediatric neuropsychologist, and I'm also an author. I wrote a book for parents. And primarily, I have a private practice in Los Angeles, California. Um, My life work has been to create diagnostic and an assessment environment that's warm and supportive. Um, And I came to realize that understanding that the child is not a single unit, it comes with it, he or she comes with a village of parents and families, and there's repercussions in the outer community anytime a child is singled out with a difference. So I coined the word, or I think I coined the word atypical child because I didn't like what was out there, special needs or other terms, because in a sense, we're all atypical. And children who do not conform to the typical expectations is basically all of us. Um, Some conform less than others. But in this way, I've tried to normalize what I do with a lens of diversity and compassion for parents who have to deal with these atypical children. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you got into this work. Is this personal for you or is it, you know, what drew you to, to working with these families? Well, that's a really good question. You know, I love, I've always loved kids. And as a neuropsychologist, I, you know, we, we are trained to focus on our client who is the child or the patient. And uh, what I came to understand is that this is a problem endemic in all of the healing professions, as well as psychiatry, psychology, neuropsychology, that we're trained to focus on the patient. And so it's very all-consuming and fascinating, and I love what I do. But what happened is, after I've been doing this for a while, and then after a while, I started to say, what Like, what happens to the parents after they leave my office? What happens on the other side of the door? How are they? And I would check in, and I wouldn't get very much back. And I started to look and say, well, there's thousands of books. Let me find a book that can help me understand the parents, because I recognize that the key to treatment for these children is the cooperation and understanding of the parents. If we don't have parents on board the children are not going to get what they need. And so that propelled me to find out more about how the parents are doing. And to my shock and surprise, I discovered crickets, nothing, nothing. Not only that, it was even more shocking when I started to review what everybody knows in the psychology world, you know, the stages of development, you know, all the focus we have on evolving personality and from Freud all the way on to current. And what I realized is not only, forget parents of atypical children, there is no specific category called parent in any of the psychological terms. Now, there's plenty about parenting. So when I do public speaking and I say, raise your hand if you studied psychology, raise your hand if you studied parents. And some people raise their hand and they think that I'm talking about parenting. Well, no, I'm talking about that specific phase of development known as becoming a parent. What happens to your mind? 
what happens to your body, what happens to your friendships, what happens to your thinking and feeling and reasoning abilities. Well, now we know from neuroscience that there are very strong changes in the parent brain. And I'm working on my second book regarding this whole entire field because it was largely unrecognized. But take that into the atypical world and we've got unexplored territory. What indeed happens to these parents when they receive a diagnosis and how to understand them has not been explored. And so I had to write the book and it was called Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. And lo and behold, first the publishers thought that parents are only looking for books that are going to help their children. And to some extent, that's correct. You only, you're, you're totally, fo- you are wired. We as parents are wired for survival of our children. We will put ourselves in harm's way if it saves our child, right? That's how we're evolutionarily wired. But the truth about our current situation and our current era, raising children is very different. And that the well-being of the parent is so much more important to how the child receives signals about how to live. And that's not to put blame because I remove a lot of blame from this book. I don't, I mean, that's a whole other topic. We can get into that. Not blaming yourself. So this atypical children is not a blame game of parents, but parents can do a lot to help shape the child. So when you talk about self-care, taking care of yourself, it is not a selfish act. It, you're doing it for the well-being of your child. When you're reading a book about your emotions, you're creating a safe space in your own brain to process what's really going on with you. And that allows you to release a lot of garbage thoughts and insight. Because as you know, parents of atypical children have a lot of garbage thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that's what led me into that. So much of what you've said resonates with me because I, you know, was in this situation with this atypical child and found very much the same thing, you know, that, and, and it hadn't even, even occurred to me that I needed to work on myself. I mean, I'm kind of always doing work on myself in other areas. I'm always trying to learn and become more productive and, you know, these kinds of things. But I hadn't put the focus back on me as a parent and what can I do for myself and how might that impact, you know, my relationship with my child. And I think, yeah, there was a big void even 10 years ago in this conversation. So it's great that you recognize that and shared your work with people. Totally. Now, I don't want people that are listening to this to go, oh, my God, what have I missed? Because, you know, parents, uh, good parents are always worried that they've missed some information or, oh, my God, I didn't tend to my anxiety good enough. No, let that let that be, because what we understand is that this is nor these are normal reactions. We all worry about our kids, right? The anxiety of worrying about a child that's been identified as atypical is actually traumatic. It's a trauma. Whether it's a big T or a small T, that's not up to me to measure because people are uniquely wired. 
you know, for some, just having a kid with ADD will be a major trauma and others having a child with a medical diagnosis, they go, all right, we're going to, we're just going to work with this. So we can't predict the intensity of the responses, but we certainly can predict that there will be a flow of responses that I actually put into this five stages category, which has become, um, we all know the five stages of whatever that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross created, but it's been adapted all over the world for all sorts of situations. And I traced it from a neuropsychological, neuroscience behavioral reaction module. And it actually resonates with the uh, neurological system of the brain as we know it. So the first stage is denial. And if you think about it, um, we all go into denial for the slightest things. If someone steps hard on your toe in the supermarket, like your first is deer in headlights. Wait, did that just happen? And, and then you react. So, uh, den- and denial can last a long time. And you can go back and forth between denial. And the, the next one is anger. So the supermarket analogy it's like your your limbic brain shoots up and goes, hey, cut that out. You know, luckily we have some frontal lobe executive function meta monitoring that doesn't have us hit them back. But that still happens. And so a lot of people, when they break out of the denial, they go into anger. I talk a lot about anger in my book because it's going to be blame the other spouse, blame the, shoot the messenger. Uh, You know, a lot of therapists and everybody who works in the field of children have a little secret they carry around that they love the kids, but the parents, oh, the parents. And that's a secret that I really wanted to bust through. Makes me really angry because as a parent and a professional, I've been on both sides of the aisle. And I understand these parents, and you have to work with them. And a parent who's combative or hostile or in denial or depressed, that's the next phase is depression, or into bargaining, uh, which is negotiating the diagnosis. These are real people with real feelings, and they love their children. And if they have identified you as being the person in the way of their child's happiness, you can bet they're going to be hostile. And so rather than getting defensive and the whole field of anyone who works with children needs to understand what parents are going through emotionally for the betterment of the child. So I set out to write that book. Hmm. Yeah, I think you are talking about things that, again, people just haven't really talked about. And I think it's really complicated. You know, I think this all comes wrapped up in feelings of shame and guilt and even, you know, that word grief. And I I talk about this in my book, too. And I and I say I don't think that using the language of mourning is too strong a word. And it's not mourning that your child is who they are. It's more that idea of who we thought they would be, right? Oh, that's chapter one. That's right. What we expect when we're expecting. Yeah. And mourning the loss of your ideal child. You know, 
that is so normal. We are flooded in pregnancy, even in anticipating getting pregnant. This is true for adoptive parents. This is all true for gay parents, blended parents. This is true for anyone who is uh, distinctly involved in raising children. The expectation of a child fills your body with certain neurotransmitters, particularly oxytocin, but there are others, that raise your level of optimism and glow. It's like being in love, but you're in love with an idea. And all the Italian and French Renaissance painters who painted those gorgeous cupids, those were their idealized child angels. And sooner or later, by the way, every child falls from grace. It could be at birth, it could be down the road, but there's a deep disappointment and a mourning that this child is not the perfect cupid. They either imagined or the child looked like at birth or sooner or later, they just become people and people have warts. Mm -hmm. We we have warts. We have scabs. We have scars. We have emotional issues. We are diverse. The human species, we are not all the same. We are all different. And what unites us is our differences, not our sameness. And in the society of homogenization, where everything has to look like the cover of, I don't know, I don't want to disparage a magazine, but the glamorous magazines, we all are expected to look a certain way, to be a certain way. Children need to develop passions and win prizes at an early age, or at least to excel in some sort of sport or have a focus or adopt orphans in Haiti of their own idea or some crazy, crazy notions about what children are supposed to be doing. It's insane. And they're all supposed to be beautiful and get straight A's so you can glow and you can brag. And I'm sure you have experienced, as I and listeners, being in groups of parents who maybe inadvertently are bragging. And bragging can go subtly like, oh, the school is so easy. They really need to give more homework. My son has nothing to do at night. It's like, right? (laughs) That's an inadvertent brag. And it's shaming. So you mentioned shame. We have to bust the stigma of shame. Our children your children, the children I work with every day, they have a right to this world. They belong here and they are special. And it's these out-of-the-box children that are going to be our future leaders. And we have to prepare the world for them. But not just that, we have to be proud of them. So they throw tantrums in the grocery store and throw themselves on the floor. So what? I would personally rather be friends with someone who is opinionated and has strong feelings than the goody goodies who don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Um, And even, uh, you know, those, those people who are on the autism spectrum, there's incredible charm to them. They, they are so good at finding the details that the neurotypicals miss. There is charm and grace and gifts to every 
human being on our planet. And we need to remove the shame stigma and start blending our expectations into these absolutely gorgeous children that we are producing and that I as a professional am helping blossom. It is my joy to do that. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I love the way you you word that and your hope for who these kids can be and the contribution that they have come in to make uh, on our planet and and in society, because I believe that so deeply myself. I'm wondering, you know, just in your work, what gets in parents way the most in your experience, you know, bridging that gap from 
you know, you mentioned the child throwing a tantrum on the floor. Um, a lot of parents I talk to, it tends to be kind of the little things that get them hung up, you know, the expectations of the way a child should behave at the dinner table or the way a child should behave on a sports team or, you know, it, it tends to be around behavior and it can oh, yeah. be hard to, to make that shift. So what do you see that blocks parents from shifting into that place of, you know what, this stuff doesn't matter so much. What matters is that my kid is an awesome, unique individual and how can we help him or her thrive? Well, that's a complicated question. There are many layers to that question. All right. So I think the first thing we need to banish is the shame of others uh, that others will know. What are we going to tell our friends? What are we going to tell people? That shame, I think, gets in a lot of people's way. And they tell me, you know, we can handle it in the family, but going out into the community, what do we tell people? I mean, my kid looks and behaves so differently. And so I help parents put words to it in a way that is normalizing and matter of fact and explaining. The second thing is what school are they going to go to? This is very complicated. How is a school going to meet their needs? But the third thing that you touched on, I mean, I've got like six things in my mind that you that I could talk about now. But the third thing is expectations. Oh, my Lord. If we examine our expectations, we will find that we have the ability to set the stage for our children in such a positive way if we remove stigmas. Dinner table. You know, what age do we expect children to sit at the dinner table as a family? Hello? I don't know. It's really unique. But if this is totally out of the scope of your child, then create another family ritual that your child can successfully engage in. Examine your expectations. The child should. Why? Because when you were growing up, family dinner was special. Well, goody for you. That's a lovely memory. But now it needs to be recreated. So I think a good parent is the parent that examines their expectations and is able to recreate their expectations in a way that their child can successfully match. Now, fourth item, that doesn't mean to remove your expectations. I see, this is LA, okay, so I see a lot of kids who are overindulged. Uh, completely, they've removed all their expectations and the child walks in and starts taking their shoes and shirts off in the waiting room because they're just comfortable and the parent doesn't say anything. Okay, so there are reasonable expectations that we really have to work hard on. This is where the real work should be, not in trying to eliminate shame, stigma, or making your child sit at the dinner table. But really, what do we really need to give our children so that they become successful 25-year-olds? Because as I know, as they know in some of the research, it's recognized that a lot of atypical children are late bloomers. They don't really come into their own at those expected age levels. But we know that with good parenting, good structure, good identification, diagnosis, remediation, accommodations, all the sweat and tears that you and love that you put into your child and optimism that your child will find themselves. It's just a question of how, when. 
some children eventually do need a sheltered living environment. Okay, but we don't know how they're going to evolve. But getting help, building your army. I talk a lot about it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes an army. I'm sorry, we don't live in a village anymore. None of, well, maybe there are some villages left, but certainly not LA and not New York. We don't live in a village. We live in a really challenging environment where families are isolated. You're on your own. The pressure between um, either single parent or two-parent, or step-parents, or blended parents, the pressure is on very few people to do what a whole village used to do. And it's enormous. You can't send your kid out to play and get relief. You can't call grandma from upstairs in your apartment building, because grandma lived upstairs, and you lived on the other floor, and your uncle lived downstairs. It was like a whole thing. That doesn't happen anymore, except for a few lucky places, maybe. But so that's a myth. And so you have to pull together your army. And that, in a lot of cases, means you either have to become very good at working the public service system, which in a lot of cases is not that good, unfortunately, or you have to build your own army from a private selection of people. And that takes work. You're not going to hit it right away. You're going to hire and fire. You are the CEO. You are the commander in chief of your child's army. And some parents don't feel up to the task or they are scared to be too assertive or they feel that they'll going along with the program. People will like them more and be more willing to work with their kids. And yes, you always have to be kind but you have to be assertive because parents in their gut, either they know what the child needs or they will figure it out um, by learning through the army, through the people that you hire. Hopefully, you'll find good people. Uh, if I get criticized for anything um, in my work, I get criticized for sounding a little combative, like saying, oh, if you don't like uh, what the, the services your school is giving you, hire a lawyer. Well, I don't, I don't really say go to that extreme, but I do say that your child is entitled to services. And many districts and regional centers and whatever are unable to fit your needs unless you know how to ask for it appropriately. And that sometimes often means hiring an advocate. I'm a big believer in advocates who can tell you what's out there. And if necessary, yes, go to a legal option. Because let me tell you something, your kid only has one life to lead. And you're in charge up to a certain point. And it's your job to make sure your child gets what they need. So yes, be assertive, be kind, don't be hostile. But really take the time to dig in and think, okay, what are my expectations, but what are my reasonable, what is this child's reasonable needs? If you don't know, that's when you go to experts. You should always be working with experts, by the way, because the great majority of parents, uh, this is not their area of expertise. And even when it is your area of expertise, it's crushing. You know, doctors are not supposed to treat their own children. So even when it is your area of expertise, don't go there. 
it's really, it's way too emotionally loaded. So you should get testing, but with somebody good. Um, and how do you know who's good? Well, you know, friends and pediatrician and uh, whatever. There, there are ways nowadays of figuring out and try it. But if you don't like that person, go to someone else. There is no, it's like you're, you wouldn't hesitate to try on different pair of shoes before you get the right fit. So if something an expert says really doesn't resonate with you, it is fine to get a second opinion. It really is. I mean, it's fine to do anything in the pursuit of helping your child. But most of all, what I'm about is helping parents come to terms with who their child is and working through their levels of anxiety and self-blame and fear for your child's physical safety and fear about your child's future and feeling overwhelmed and social pressure from other parents. These are the more typical issues that parents face. And when you face it, you will then be modeling a a model of equanimity and self-regulation that, you know, your child isn't going to maybe pick up on right away, but you've set the model for future behavior. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So let me go back to something you said earlier, because I, when I interview people, I always try to imagine what my listeners would want to, what their follow up question would be. So I'm just wondering in terms of getting perhaps an advocate or seeking some outside support or navigating 
that process of pushing for more services and discovering more and really getting those experts. What do you advise for parents who don't have the financial resources to hire that advocate to go to, you know, hiring a lawyer can be really expensive, um, even for a consultation. So just wondering if you have any thoughts of ways to either tap into public services or workarounds that you found successful for families. Absolutely. And this is something that plagues me all the time, because there are so many children who fall under the atypical, well, as I said, you know, there's a great majority of identified children, but so many. And obviously, this can be a very costly process. But there are public options. So of course, there's regional center to start with, of course, there's your public school district, they are obligated. Um, There are insurance coverage and certain HMOs, you talk to your pediatrician. And then there is support groups. I'm a huge fan of support groups. Um, We are a social species, and nothing is more comforting than being with people who have similar issues. And through support groups, you find out a lot. Support groups are usually free. You can find them online. And for whatever your child's particular issue is, And through the support groups, you will find people that will give you, like I can't say at a national or international level, what are the tips to find um, for your low-fee services. But if you go start locally with your support group, you will find chances are, or chances are the support group will be sufficient. But you, you should be able to go through, and insurance is insurance is unfortunately not as helpful as they could be with certainly with neuropsych evaluations. They don't touch educational evaluations, but there are ways to get around all this. And some parents have figured it out. Find the parents, join a Facebook support group, listen to this podcast, uh, listen to other podcasts, uh, just get involved in the community that you need to be involved in. Go to conferences. For example, ADHD, join CHAD. I mean, that's just one of them. There's many autism conferences. There are um, some very rare genetic conditions that were maybe there's only 300 people in the world with this. If your child is one of them, they have conferences. It may take you to um, places you didn't think you're going to go to, but find your tribe basically. It's not just a neuroatypical tribe. You can get as specific or as general as you like, but this country has in place IDEA where your child is entitled to get what they need. And it's just figuring out how to get there is a bit of a challenge, but please don't give up. Keep, keep pushing. The parents that I work with are so inspiring in their resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And I think I always like to think of our generation of parents who are on the front lines and, and pushing for more inclusion and support for our kids in school. We're paving the way for for kids in the future to have an easier path to getting what they need. So it definitely has a, a compound effect. I have one other question I want to ask you before we wrap up, and it's going back to the stages of grief and 
In talking about denial, you know, you mentioned that that can look and sometimes, you know, one parent being on board, another parent not, or one parent saying, I was like this as a child and I turned out fine. This is something that comes up for me a lot, both when I'm speaking and and on comments in the Facebook groups is when there is someone who is in a relationship, they're co-parenting their child, and their co-parent is not on the same page and is stuck in that stage of denial. And I imagine you work with families in this situation. I'm just wondering if you have any any advice for that parent who is has already gotten with the program, who's already moved past this stage, what advice do you have for them to get their other, to get their partner on board? Well, this is a very good question. And because it's extremely common, um, I call this a mixed marriage. The child suffers from having parents on different pages of of the issue because they're going to then hear parents arguing. Now, the parent that's in denial is typically the parent that's less educated about neurodiversity and what the issue really is. It also brings up a lot of internal chaos inside of them. And so it's very good. These parents should have at least one session with Anyone, either the neuropsychologist, if they're trained to work with parents or a parent counselor who are not trained to work with these issues, by the way, because no one is, which I discovered in my book. But nevertheless, to highlight and talk out feelings. um, But the primary thing is education. Once the denying parent sees that, look, there's three kids on our block with the same diagnosis. Let's dig in and educate them they become a little less frightened. I think the root of stubborn denial is fear. And we need to gently help the person with the fear. A lot of dads, for example, can be in denial because they are in charge of the homeostasis of the family. They, and this is gender stereotyping, forgive me, and it's also a bias that the dad is the full-time breadwinner and the mom, whatever, and I apologize for that, but I just see it. I continue to see it. It's 2019, and I continue to see the pattern, and so that's why I'm saying it like this, but they are the ones that, there's also some neurobiological systems that flood through uh, males, like vasopressin that is much less present in women that create a state of protectiveness for their clan and sort of aggressive defensiveness against anything that's going to shake it up. So think Papa Bear. And those are very primitive responses to a very complex situation. And they need to overcome their primitive brain and go into what Dan Siegel calls the upstairs brain. And work from a reasonable perspective. It's a process. It's a process. This whole journey is a process. That's very helpful. And I think remembering that it's a process and that the delay might be longer than a parent would hope, you know, that it can take a while for the partner to get on the same page. But I think also seeing that other parent with compassion and recognizing that they are going through their own internal 
journey in coming to understand and accept who their child is. And and it's going to look different for everybody. So, so that's really helpful. Thank you for that. Oh, there's so much more I could say about each phase. But yes, denial, we've got to get through the denial. Yeah, but be careful, because on the other door of denial comes anger right on its heels. So (laughs) be careful what you wish for (laughs) anger and blame comes next. But we could talk a lot longer about that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have perhaps a follow up conversation. I mean, we covered a lot in this, which is so helpful. I I really appreciate you going with me to different places and going off script a little bit. But this is really just so important, the work that you do. And again, you know, this is something that I the reason I created Tilt Parenting was I felt unsupported as as a parent, and I wanted to help other parents find each other. So I really appreciate your voice in this conversation. Thank you so much. It's my joy and honor, really, to work with you and to talk to you about the issues that we're both so passionate about. Thank you. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. And before we say goodbye, will you just take a minute and let listeners know where they can find you and learn more about your book and perhaps your upcoming book? Sure. Uh, Well, you can go to Amazon. And my book is Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents with Atypical Children. And Amazon reviews are always, always welcome. And my website, I actually have a blog. It's called positivelyatypical.com, where I blog about all sorts of issues for parents of atypical children. And my home website is drritaeikenstein.com. So I hope to hear from you. Perfect. And listeners, I will include links to Rita's book and her blog and the website in the show notes as well. So if you can easily go there and and click through and learn more. So thank you again for taking time to come and talk with us today. And we hope to do it again. A pleasure. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including a link to Rita's website, her book, Not What I Expected, as well as all the resources we discussed today, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 167. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review or both for Tilt Parenting on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. Thank you so much. Lastly, for the price of a vanilla latte at Starbucks or your favorite coffee shop, you can support the production of this show. It's easy, it's pain-free, and I would be so grateful for the help. To learn more, you can go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting. And that's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. 
My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.